Welcome to the Evolution Channel. I'm sitting here in our new studio, and this is the Evolution Show. Welcome to the Evolution Show. I'm your host, Johan Langgren. In the Evolution Show, we'll connect the dots to see the bigger picture to understand some of the biggest challenges and opportunities for the future. We'll focus on smart energy solutions, artificial intelligence, AI, electric transports, and sustainable living. And with me today, I have Anna Pernestol. Welcome, Anna. Thank you. You're director at the Integrated Transport Research Lab, uh, or KTH, at, at KTH Stockholm, the Royal Institute of Technology and uh, your speci speciality is self-driving technology. So why would I have you here today? But I think uh, what's interesting with you, you also have a systemic approach on things, thinking on, of the big picture. Uh, and your interest is not only technology, but also understanding nature and so on. So even though you're not a beekeeper like me, I think you, it's going to be interesting to hear your thoughts about pollinations and bees. We'll come to that soon. Yes, thank you. Yeah, my research is, of course, on automated vehicles, but also on new technology in general and how that new technology can contribute to a sustainable transport system and a sustainable, trans uh, sustainable society. And there, this uh, systemic view is really important. I would like to lift it a bit and not only talk about uh, systems, but also systems of systems, uh, since the world is very complex. And I'm, I'm very happy to be here and, uh, and to talk more about the pollinators and the, how, we can, uh, how we can get a more sustainable life and, and more sustainable society. Yeah. And I think we also have this, I think, approach that we, we know that we live on a finite planet and we have finite resources. So bees are part of that. And we'll come back to that and see the effects on what's happening and so on. So, but today we're going to talk about pollinators and honeybees. Uh, honeybees are close to my heart, obviously, but pollinators in general and why they're so important. And we'll come back to that soon, but there has been a lot of uh, debate on what's happening in terms of reports coming out and the urgency of the matter, so to speak. So it's not going to be only about honey, but very much about uh, understanding what's happening in nature. So, and today we can say that you, Johan, are actually the guest the host is a guest uh, in the Evolution Show today. So I would like to introduce you uh, a little bit so we get to know you, who you are. And uh, you are a writer on, on the blog Oil for Dummies or Olja för Blåbär, as we call it in Swedish. Uh, one of the, the biggest blogs in Sweden on energy, sustainability, electric transport and uh, yeah, sustainable living. Um, and you have also uh, written this book with the same name, uh, Oil for Dummies or Olja för Blåbär. Uh, can you tell us a bit what's in the book? Yeah, Oil for Dummies is basically, it came from an idea we heard about in Sweden that we're importing blueberries from Ukraine and Poland actually. And the Swedish blueberries, they are exported to China as health products. So that's part of it, understanding uh, the dynamics of um, the transport system or the global trade system and how it's related to our energy dependence when it comes to oil, our oil dependence. Everything is depending on the use of oil in different degrees. So mm -hmm. whether it's transports or in plastics and so on. 
and how does it look in Sweden? There are a lot of books about peak oil, as they call it, and the maximum production of oil in the world and that it eventually will decline. And how can we do to make this transition to a fossil-free fossil economy? Uh, but there has not been any books about uh, how it looks in Sweden. So the, the focus is on Sweden, but also on a global scale. How can we go from a fossil fuel economy to something more sustainable? So, mm -hmm. so we, we talk about transport, electric transportation, and what you can do on a personal level and um, strengthening the local economy and so on. Yeah, so it sounds like we will come back to those topics yeah. uh, later in the evolution yeah. show uh, also. Uh, you also have a master degree in uh, peace and conflict studies from Uppsala University in Sweden. Um, and you have been a beekeeper for five years now. Yeah. Uh, and you have uh, both traditional hives and top bar hives. Yeah. And I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> but I guess a beekeeper will know. Yeah. Um, so let's move to today's topic. Uh, which is pollinators and bees, and um, how they, how can, how can the pollinators, how, how, what do they contribute with? Why are they so important? Yeah, uh, yeah, bees are. Many people think about bees only as maybe they're producing honey and some honey products. Um, it may be, for example, this kind of beeswax or salvi uh, as people use as health products and so on. Uh, but mainly the the biggest uh, the greatest contribution that the bees do is as a pollinators uh, so you often you mention this that one third or every third bite or something like that uh, is uh, thanks to the pollinators and mainly the honeybees simply because the honeybees are so many uh, every hive can be up to 60 to 80,000 individuals while many other pollinators are fewer so the sheer number uh, is simply the, making the fact that the uh, honeybees are very central to pollination. And, and that's uh, everything from different kinds of fruits and uh, nuts and uh, also actually in, in indirectly in dairy products. Uh, alpha alpha and uh, clover uh, is something that cows eat and uh, mm -hmm. without the bees pollinating these uh, plants and uh, so on. Uh, it will be much harder uh, for the farmers, um, even when it comes to, to dairy products. So, um, and you can, the list can go on and on. I think we'll come back mm -hmm. to that. But, but uh, this means that, uh, what about my, my morning cup of coffee? I need my morning cup of coffee. Yeah, ba basically, basically um, the coffee can reproduce, it can uh, self-pollinate, uh, but uh, in order for it to, to grow and be a healthy plant, it needs cross-pollination, what's called cross-pollination. And that gives uh, a bigger harvest. So you could imagine that if all, let's say that all the bees, all the pollinators will be gone, you will have perhaps, I can't say in a figure, but you have much, much less uh, coffee, probably insufficient uh, or clearly insufficient to provide for the whole global uh, population. So we would have a big problem. So yeah, and, and I can't we, say that they will be gone, but it will be a big problem when it comes to coffee. Especially yeah. in Sweden, because I, I think Sweden is uh, the world's most coffee drinking country or one of the yeah. world's most coffee drinking countries. Yeah. So that would be a disaster for yeah. industry in Sweden. I yeah, think. big depression. <laughs> yeah. uh, but uh, about honey, uh, the, the bees are producing honey. I have heard that honey can be 
very, very old and still eatable. Yeah. Several thousand years. Yeah, actually, I read up on that and um, I know that the, the Egypt pyramids, the, pyramids uh, the ancient pyramids in Egypt, uh, when they opened them up, they found these honeypots. And the honeypots had been stored inside the pyramids in a cold and dark environment. Uh, and as a beekeeper, you learn that if you store the honeys uh, either in the fridge or in a cold and uh, quite cold and dark environment, they, they will last a long time. But I was surprised. Uh, it actually 3,000 years, uh, these honeypots, when they found them. And they opened up and the, the honey was totally edible. So, uh, yeah. They can last a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's really uh, that's really amazing. Three thousand yeah. years yeah. and still uh, good. Yeah. Uh, what is uh, honey and bees more good for? Uh, I mentioned pollination, but you can also use the honey uh, as a health product or actually as a in me as a medicinal pur purpose. I think you mentioned to me before that you had used honey uh, on a wound or something like that, and that's something I heard uh, that. Um, if you have been burnt uh, really severely and uh, or you have uh, different kinds of wounds that won't heal uh, they've actually discovered discovered that you could use the honey on the wound and it might heal it won't won't work for every patient so I wouldn't say in general that you can use honey as a magic uh, kind of uh, medicine but it, it can work uh, and it can make uh, the wound heal faster and f start to heal at all sometimes it doesn't heal at all so yeah, so it has uh, um, antibacterial uh, functions as well. So, um, and there are a lot of research on that mm. quite recently. So they're working on how to use that uh, more. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I remember I got the, the honey from my sister who is a veterinary. Okay. So mm. they used it for dogs and she yeah. thought that I could use it yeah, yeah, also. Yeah, and yeah. It, was, it worked, but it was very sticky and not yeah. so good to have under the pants. No, <laughs> no, I can imagine, yeah. But, uh, uh, I've heard recently news that the, the bees and the insects are challenged and in yeah. general we know that many species are uh, are challenged or threatened by the human way of living. Yeah. Uh, what is the status among bees? Uh, I will start with the positive news because there is so much negativity going on and we, we're going to come back to that. There are a lot of reports and research suggesting that the development in, for the whole insect um, kingdom or uh, all the insects in the world uh, are declining rapidly. But recently there was a very fascinating news that came out. Um, it's something called the Wallace, Wallace giant bee, which is a bee that was thought to be extinct. Uh, but it's been rediscovered in Indonesia on, in, on an island in Indonesia. Um, and it's actually six centimeter in wingspan basically four, four times as, an, as a normal uh, honeybee, a European honeybee. So it's, it's huge. Uh, and it's been, they found it up in some trees and now they're trying to protect it and so on. But it shows that the bees can survive. Um, this is uh, an individual bee. It's not like um, the colonies uh, with a lot of big populations that we have and a regular honey, um, a regular beehive. So these are uh, single bees uh, living in, you know, by themselves. But still, it's it's uh, it's a positive news. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But um, what are what are then the challenges uh, for the bee? What what is the main challenge? I think if you look back, uh, they've been around for sixty five to actually might even be one hundred million million years. Some research suggests, uh, but. Uh, the changes are happening so fast now. The last couple of hundred years with industrialization, 
uh, introducing different kind of um, uh, chemicals and, and also a lot of changed habitats. So we're we're uh, introducing uh, machines and we're building. Uh, you have a lot of buildings, uh, construction, and uh, the human civilization is is taking over. So it's hard for bees to find the natural. Um, they can't find the different plants they need and so on. So changed habitat, uh, introducing chemicals and also the spread of disease because we have important and imported and exported bees all around the world. And with that comes the spread of disease as well. So some bees that are in symbiosis with, for example, a very famous uh, varroa mite, uh, which is one of the biggest parasites uh, challenges we have in, in, the bee, in the beekeeping world. They actually spread from Asia to Europe, so we didn't have this problem before. But when uh, different kind of trade routes introduced and so on, of course, like every insects and all kinds of species we have seen around the world, uh, they spread with the ships and so on. So, uh, and after that, we had a lot of problems. So I would say three things: habitat, chemicals, and disease. Uh, different kind of parasite and so on. That's the biggest challenge. So it's it's a change of the agriculture production and the way we. Uh, we uh, changed the environment for the bees, so that's yeah, yeah. yeah but so so about this uh, the disease, it's uh, it is bees coming from one uh, one culture with one disease, bringing the disease to new culture where there uh, there is no defense for that disease. Is yeah, that the yeah that, that's part of the problem, and it's also because they can't get the right food. They can't get enough. Um, diversity when it comes to what they're feeding on. So if they're, for example, living in in an area where there is only one crop to fly on, only one plant mm. they can they can get nectar and uh, pollination uh, pollen from, uh, their immune system will be lowered simply. So uh, they're more um, receptible to mm. uh, different kind of disease than they would be otherwise. So it's new disease, but also having a, a weaker immune system. That this combination mm. is can be can be, um, um, yeah, uh, really deadly. So yeah, this variety of pollen uh, or or f variety of flowers that they need. Uh, it doesn't really sound like the agriculture as we see today with huge fields of uh, the same uh, no but the but, same plants yeah. but the, the farmer actually uh, this a, it can be a win-win situation it doesn't have to be that you have to do a lot of work it can also only be like having a, a, a strip by the road or creating a small meadow or something like that so they have a sanctuary uh, to, to go to so they don't only have to fly on one crop so it can be like in the early spring, you have a lot of food from one farm, but once that crop is blooming over, you have no food at all for, for the pollinators. But then they can go to other places. And uh, a lot of uh, single um, individuals, like not um, the big honeybee uh, societies, but a lot of other pollinators, they, they, uh, they need to go to other mm -hmm. places and they need to get um, pollen and, and uh, nectar and so on from different sources. Uh, so small things can can make a big difference for these small insects. Yeah, that's uh, th that's great. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking about uh, the chemicals that we, we talked, you, you mentioned also. Um, which chemicals are worst and why? <laughs> yeah, you often talk about so-called neonicotinoids, uh, which is something you use in different kinds of pesticides. Um, it's an active organic um, pesticide that 
basically what happens is that if you have even small doses of uh, neonicotinoids like imidacloporide which is a common one used um, in dif both on crops and, and uh, growing crops uh, preventing uh, different kinds of pesticides uh, different kinds of um, insects um, uh, it actually can have the effect that the bees can't navigate or the pollinators can't navigate so what happens is that they go out uh, outside the hive uh, start navigating to to localize where they are and where they, what's what's home and where can I go from now uh, but from that what happens when they are um, exposed to the neonicotinoids is that their navigation system is not working anymore so they go in one direction and they might not come home or they didn't find what they were looking mm -hmm. for so they're not getting enough food because I mean the end result is that they won't get enough food because their navigation is not working uh, so that's a really deadly uh, consequence. Uh, but uh, what are those neonicotinoids uh, used for? Who uses them? And basically, uh, I mean, uh, all kind of all kinds of big farms and agricultural production. Uh, they're used because they are very effective against certain insects. Um, recently, to mention another uh, hot topic, recently is that. Um, there's also something called glyphosonate, um, which is used also as a kind of insecticide, um, pesticide, sorry. Uh, and this also has a negative effect on the bees. Um, one has now seen that there is a, a relationship between the use of glyphosonate and how the bees can survive. Uh, what the, the latest um, uh, verdict in, in California said was that actually the glyphosate is also bad for humans uh, it actually can cause cancer in humans so there is a lot of debate now can we use glyphosate uh, can farmers use them uh, one common product is round roundup which is also used in in you know gardens and, and so on uh, here in sweden and internationally it's very common that you use this um, uh, as a pesticide uh, so i would say neonicotinoids and glyphosate uh, both are used as kind of pesticide. Which so, is, so if uh, I go to the to the supermarket and, and buy some fruits or uh, mm. or fruits or yeah, uh, flour or uh, buy some food, yeah. it's a big chance that uh, some of those pesticides have been used in the production if they are not organically grown. Yes, uh, I mean. Um, most of the time, you, the, some of these substances are left in nature, so probably not so much on the fruit. Uh, so you won't get it in. You can get. You might get small. I, I can't. I mean, I can't say how much. Uh, I don't know. But they found in the waters and, and in the ground and soil that there are small substances left of glyphosate, uh, which raises the question. Obviously, why are we using this? And uh, the European Union has been undecided on this matter. So. Um, Europe, uh, sorry, Germany recently decided that in 2021 they will ban all use of glyphosate. So that's a positive thing. Here in Sweden, uh, we have not decided to go that that fast, so we're going to do it in 2021. So it's one year, uh, 2022. Sorry, one year later than Germany. Uh, but of course, we should stop immediately uh, if it's bad both for us and for uh, the pollinators. Yeah, and if it's bad for the pollinators, it's also bad for us yes. because we won't get any coffee. Good or, point. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, and much a lot of other things. And a lot of other. Yeah. One, uh, yeah, you said seventy percent of, uh, of the crops. Of the crops. Yes. Uh, 
are, are uh, fundamentally based on, or the pollinators are crucial for, for that. So. Yeah, or every third byte, you could say, if you okay. want it. Mm. That's more like a correct description. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of, uh, I mean, because if you say 70% of the crops doesn't mean 70% of the food. You could live without certain number of crops because they're not that big yeah. in our food production and so on. Grains and so on are very important. And, uh, you can um, uh, wheat and so on is not pollinated, so that that that's self-pollinated, so it doesn't need uh, pollinators like bees. But fruits, uh, nuts, um, and uh, indirectly dairy products. Uh, I mean, they, we can mention. I can mention mm -hmm. later on, but the, the the list is you can just go into Google it, and you'll find uh, hundreds of hundreds of things um, on the list. So and all the. Uh, for example, all the clementines and, and oranges and kiwis mm -hmm. and uh, walnuts, uh, almond in uh, in California is, is a common um, example people use because it's concentrated in California. So 70, 80% or something like that uh, is uh, it's all, the, all the almond production mm -hmm. in the world is in that area. And that's what they do there is, there is that they take um, beehives from, from other places in the US, they go by truck and, and in that season when they have the almond blooming and so on, they need to have all uh, the bees there. Otherwise, they will have no um, almond at, at all. So uh, wow. that's yeah. really... <laughs> <laughs> Borrowing in bees to uh, uh, yeah. to assure the, the almond crop. Yeah. But uh, since the pesticides are so bad for us and uh, mm. for the, the pollinators and they're thus indirectly for us, mm. uh, what do the the authorities do? What the, it could it should be legislation against this? Yeah, you could really think that. And uh, recently, I wrote an article together with uh, the Swedish um, beekeeping beekeeping society, you could call it, um, regarding exactly that. And it was um, an issue here in Sweden because um, the chemical authority in Sweden had issued. Um, uh, temporary uh, allowance for uh, using uh, yeah, these um, neotenicanoids, uh, three of them that were actually banned by the European Union last year. But because there were some sugar farmers, uh, sugar beet farmers, uh, that said that they needed to use uh, these uh, neonicotinoids, otherwise it would threaten uh, their production, uh, just, you know, Plainly, they said that 10% of their economic um, uh, revenue would be threatened uh, uh, if they didn't have um, access or using this. There were no substitutes, they said. Um, but after a lot of debate and pressure from uh, you know the public, and partly because of our article and others, uh, they actually there was a, a judge, uh, or actually there was a um, uh, decision made by a jury in Sweden. Uh, they decided that uh, they cannot use these uh, because there has not been evaluated in detail what effects actually these neonicotinoids would have, even in, in a temporary uh, time. Um, so they decided that they can't use them. So we'll see what happens if they're going to appeal and so on. Obviously, they are going to do that. Uh, but uh, I think it, it raised a lot of questions, and I think the debate has focused a lot about, uh, on the importance of bees uh, in Sweden uh, the last year or two. Uh, so I think it's going to be harder and harder for the companies to use chemicals. Uh, but still playing 10% of the revenue yeah. towards 
something that could fundamentally threaten human life if, yes. if you draw it in the in the in the yes. longer really long perspective yes yeah um yeah that's yeah. an interesting yeah, combination so i'm happy to hear that uh, it might be a change in in this and yeah. that yeah. they really will be yeah. uh, really will be forbidden yeah um, i would say it's quite unreasonable uh to make this kind of balance because it is no balance uh, especially if you think about the, that the situation I'll come back to that but it, the situation is already very dire it's really serious uh, at, uh, already as it is for the, for the pollinators so we have to do a lot of things in order just to turn the tide so yeah but uh, how serious is the uh, how serious is the situation yeah there's been several reports uh, the last couple of years uh, one uh, in the Bi journal of Bi biological survey uh, I think it is. Uh, they said that in the next couple of decades, um, if the current development continues, we might lose 40% more of the current uh, population of insects in general. Uh, and there's also been reports the uh, last couple of years, both in, in German and uh, both in France and Germany. In France, I think it was one third of all uh, the birds has disappeared in the last 20 years or so. Uh, and also when it comes to Germany, uh, they did an evaluation in um, natural preserves and basically, uh, I mean, most of the insects w ha has disappeared in just uh, 20, 25 years. Uh, and they say it's very, very serious. Uh, and then we should remember that the insects are kind of in the bottom of the, uh, of the value chain because yeah. the birds eat them and the, so mm. on. So if the in insects disappear, mm. it will disturb the whole, uh, yes. uh, the whole chain of, of animals yes definitely uh, it's it's a symptom of, 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 of as we said the bigger picture mm -hmm. we have to see the bigger picture even if you think about these small creatures we don't see them on a daily basis but they are vital for the whole food food chain Every, so many are dependent on them and they are cleaning up in nature and so on they are uh, very very important so yeah. yeah and we're used to sit there on the uh, sit there outdoor and think they are a bit annoying yeah exactly. I, I will love them from now on and yeah, really yeah, embrace them. Yeah. Um, so so but what can we uh, what can we do what what could I do to uh, to to help the pollinators and and help the bees? Yeah, there are a lot of things you can, one can do. I mentioned meadows. Uh, every all people doesn't have, you know, you, you have access to a big uh, garden or so, but let's say you have a lawn and you're you're mowing the lawn regularly, just leave some of the area for um, for the grass to grow and to, to create sort of a sanctuary for the insects. Um, I mean, one, peop one person doing this, uh, as you say, said before, it's, it's not uh, going to change much. But if you have an, a radius of about two to three kilometers, that's the radius um, honeybees are flying, you can have a lot of uh, small, small, small gardens doing the same things. And then it actually matters because they can go to different places, find different kind of plants, and in that way, they strengthen their immune system and so on. So, uh, doing, so it's good yeah. to have uh, in in a, in a field. So it's good to have smaller spots. Yes, that's more important than to have one. Yeah, one bigger field. Exactly. Wow, exactly. that's cool. Yeah, I will change my so, my lawn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do that. And uh, I think you also find that you will see a lot of more life coming to your garden. It's good for you as well. And we like to see places where it's just green and I know that in parts of I think it was California 
because of the drought, uh, they can't have green grass anymore. So they actually have sprays. So they, they spray uh, the lawn green because to get an illusion of having that. And it's uh, quite depressing to see that. I understand people that they, they want to have, want to make it look good and so on. And they're desperate. But it's I, sort I, of also a symptom of, of something very bigger. Bigger The bigger picture is it's sending us signal that, you know, something bad is going on so yeah both uh, the spray is sending a signal but uh, and the, i also think it's it's a matter of that we define what is nice what, yeah. what looks good yeah so i think mm. if we could redefine what looks good yeah. into a meadow or yeah. longer grass with a different different types of plants yeah yeah that would be i i will work for that yeah and it's also, I mean, if you're growing food and so on in your farm, uh, in your garden or so on, uh, uh, you need to have life uh, everywhere. And you will see that you will benefit from, from having insects everywhere. You can use that for, you know, recycling uh, your, your soil and so on and the plants and, and things like that. So uh, it's not only for the looks of it and so on. And it, as I said, it doesn't mean that you have to have your whole garden uh, with insects everywhere. Okay, they are everywhere, but you don't have to have certain spots for them everywhere. But having a spot here and there, um, and, and try to keep keep that uh, kind of uh, philosophy, so you don't forget that uh, one day you take out you you're going to clean everything and you forget that. I know I have friends and family members who who sometimes forget and and. Yeah, man, it's easy to forget. But uh, if you get into the thinking that okay, let's that corner of the of the of the garden, we're going to leave that, and we're going to perhaps place some stones there, so we for don't forget that this is kind of the barrier. Uh, don't go beyond that, and, and things like that. Small things, yes, yeah. yeah. But uh, then, if I if I live in a, an apartment, mm. uh, I, I thought about this buying organic food. Mm. Uh, is that good or does it? doesn't it matter for the Th that's in, in, just to avoid a long debate i would say that uh, yes organic it, it's a good thing because you avoid pesticides in general i mean they don't use pesticides but then of course if you're going to talk about climate effects and 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 uh, the, the global footprint the resource footprint and so on first think about buying local and support the local farmer and that could be also the beekeeper support a local beekeeper if you can and if you can't find a local beekeeper support a national beekeeper and that's also an issue in the beekeeping world we have now that if you you look at the honey and you buy a jar you can't actually see sometimes where it's from so it's uh, it can be a mix sometimes of honey and sugar it's fake honey uh, and that's a problem not so much in sweden but in some parts of the world um, they are mixing sugar syrup, for example, uh, into the honey and labeling it honey, but it's not honey in Sweden. We'll come back to that in a later, but it's uh, it's actually not honey. In Sweden, we have a lot of regulations that declares what is honey. But if you mix in anything into honey that's not honey, I mean sugar, for example, it is not honey. Mm. But it's hard for you as a consumer to taste the difference. If it's just a little bit, say it's twenty percent sugar in in the honey, you won't feel that. Mm. Uh, but it's a way of saving money for the industry because it's a big, big business. Honey is super big business in the world, so a lot of money into that. Um, so it's yeah, yeah, interesting. And uh, if I if I stand there and and choose between organic honey and uh, and normal honey. Mm. Conven and conventional honey. Conventional, mm -hmm. conventional uh, honey, non-organic. Yeah, yeah non-organic. That's a good <laughs> non -organic description. Non-organic honey. Yeah. 
And sometimes I, I've also stood uh, at the shelf and there is organic honey from mm. New Zealand, which is uh, on the other side of the globe yeah. from here. And there is European uh, or perhaps Swedish mm. uh, non-organic honey. Which one should I use? What's the difference between organic and non-organic honey? I can't say for other countries, but in Sweden we have quite clear regulations and rules to follow. You can't mix anything other in, in, in the honey than, than uh, honey itself. I mean, during the winter feeding, when you're, before the winter you give them, uh, you let them keep some of the honey, that's one of the rules. Let them keep some honey, let them keep some pollen. That's uh, one of the rules for uh, organic honey. You can't just take everything from them. Uh, but if you're going to do some, give them some supplements, uh, you give them uh, organic sugar. So you mix organic sugar and water. That's what you do. That's make kind of a syrup for them. Uh, but let them keep some. Uh, and then in the spring, what happens is that they have eaten up all this um, sugar. So there's no sugar left in the honey. So when you eat the, the first honey you harvest, it's going to be honey. And sometimes there are some sugar left in the in the hive, but you take that out and save for the next winter. So that's one of the rules. But then there is also the material used. Uh, it must be primarily uh, natural materials. So uh, wooden uh, materials for uh, the hive where you put the, put the bees. Uh, and also uh, these uh, frames you put down, uh, the honeycomb, it has to be natural uh, honeycomb. It can't be uh, plastic, for example, you can buy plastic. Some people do that in industrial scale because it's sh cheap and you save money. Um, so that's not allowed in organic honey. And when it comes to um, treating a kind of a different kind of um, disease and so on, you are not allowed to use uh, non-natural um, products. Basically, there there are uh, a number um, uh, oxalic acid you could use, for example, and and and. and a couple of others uh, and uh, but outside of that uh, you're not allowed to do, use any kind of medicine or something like that that's going to be left in in the hive so because then it will be left also in the in the honey in the end so uh, yeah i would say materials uh, the treatment of the honey uh, and also you have to place the the bee um, the beehives in an area where it's not surrounded by you know a lot of pesticides and so on so if it's a super big farming area, big agriculture landscape, and just in the middle of that, and you place your hive, your apiaries, as you call the several, when you have all the uh, the hives taken together, it's called the apiary, the place you, you have your bees. Um, if, they, if the radius where they fly is two to three kilometers, and all the area basically is uh, conventional agriculture, you're not allowed to, to brand your honey uh, organic. You can always, of course, sell it and say that this is basically organic, but you can't say that it's, put a brand and say this is organic honey from Anna, uh, then if you have placed it in that kind of area. So primarily there can be some, uh, like say rapeseed and so on, a big kind of, which is common in Sweden, big fields with rapeseed, uh, but most of the area must be uh, not, it must be like organic plants or na natural environments and so on. Okay, so, so buying organic honey is also uh, supporting supporting that uh, neonicotinoids are not used. Yeah. one can say in the yeah. in, in in the long run. Yeah, uh, but for uh, for people that live in cities, we know that urbanization is going on extremely fast, and more and more people move into cities. Mm. And, uh, and the urban areas. Is there something we can or should do uh, in, in more urban areas? 
it's interesting thing actually because uh, sometimes uh, the diversity can be fantastic in the city environment. Um, if you look at the small gardens and uh, the small uh, farming areas, um, uh, you know, on top of buildings and so on, you see that even in, in New York, I know. But there, for example, there is a hotel in um, in Stockholm uh, that has a couple of hives on the top of the building, and there. Um, the chefs are actually using that in when they're serving their food and making food and so on, and you can say that this is actually from the from the hotel. So, um, but the diversity is is uh, interesting because there are, uh, like I mentioned, what's important for the pollinators is uh, different kinds of crops. And if you find if you look at an um, an urban area, you often have small areas where there's that you're leaving the uh, the plants. You have a lot of wild plants, uh, and you have plants on on balconies uh, that people are having and uh, so there are actually a lot of sources where they can get uh, nectar and, and, uh, and pollen. Uh, on the other hand of course it might be um, polluted in some areas and so on so it's it's a balance there but uh, you can definitely have um, bees in an urban area. It, it, it's In fact there are a lot of um, people in Sweden and in other places in the world that have um, have their hives in, in urban areas so that's uh, uh, and that's a good thing also I think uh, yeah. because yeah we in fact we have uh, I remember that we have hives at the university campus mm. which is more or less uh, in the city center of Stockholm yeah. yeah and they produce honey from this and sell in the university shop yeah. yeah and you have to be really there on the opening day to get yeah. uh, to get uh, the honey because it's yeah. very very popular yeah the demand is high and the only thing that's more important in the urban areas is that you have bees that are calm uh, most bees are calm but some sometimes you get bees that are not calm and uh, and actually people say that why, why do you have uh, aggressive bees but sometimes some of these aggressive bees produce more honey uh, so if you can keep them in an area that's uh, not so densely populated and so on, fine. You just put on a good suit and you can work with them. But in an urban area, that's more important. I, I know a guy who told me that he had bees on his small balcony in Stockholm. It was like crazy. But he said, yeah, there's no problem. They're super calm. And, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't think the authorities maybe might like that. Um, I don't know what the rules actually say about if you can have them like that or not. But... But uh, yeah, so it just shows that it's possible. I mean, uh, uh, you can have bees basically everywhere. Uh, well, so wonderful with the bees on the balcony or yeah, and the balcony. I have, when I think about it, I heard that one of the big um, uh, retail uh, companies here in Sweden, um, like supermarkets, they had, um, I think it was, yeah, I think it was IKEA. If I remember, IKEA or some other big companies, they, they had um, bees on the on the top, uh, on the floor of the, on the, uh, on the roof of the of the building and one day there was a mom coming out in the parking area and there was a big swarm of bees and she was super scared and thought like this is a what's happening but the f the funny thing is that when bee bees swarm they actually they eat some honey and then they go out to find a new place to live and they're actually super calm and there's a they're flying around a lot and the sound is really high and so on uh, but they are you, you shouldn't be afraid at all in that air in that situation actually they are uh, I mean, if you're standing in the middle of it and so on, but actually that's... Yeah, they are not... just focused to move yeah, behind so, the new so place. Yeah, so they were actually... What happened that she... Um, there was a, this sign of IKEA or something like that, and they flew up and they were centering around that. And of course, when you see that from a parking area, you, you might think like, oh, no, they're going to attack me or something. 
But we'll come back to that about how dangerous bees can be on an individual level. But uh, in general, you shouldn't be afraid of bees at all. Uh, the, the, there are certain steps you should take mm -hmm. and so on. Uh, definitely you should respect them and, and other things. We'll come back to that. But, but in general, bees are um, not to be afraid of. Yes, I, I've started to love bees now and uh, more and more and, and started to understand how how important they are yeah. and f for for us for the good honey of course but yeah. for for the life and the food and everything but mm. yeah the tricky mm. part is that i am a bit afraid of yeah. bees yeah i don't want to get stung no uh, I, I, my first question would be have you been stung as a child or something do you remember that they have been stung because that's a yes. good thing to know yes i i uh, have been yeah did you get in any allergic reaction or something or yes my mm. my foot was became twice as big it's, it's well it was swollen really swollen oh, yeah uh, it doesn't mean that you have an uh, you uh, depends on how big you your foot foot was swollen i don't know just you show with your hands but uh, most of the times uh, when bees sting you, it depends on where on the body it, uh, it happens. I, I, I will, I will uh, uh, go back and start from the beginning. I mean, the first thing is that uh, as a beekeeper, you're exposed to the, to the bees much more often. So you have to count on that sometimes you will get sting, sting, uh, stung. Um, and uh, you can avoid that by having a good, uh, you have good equipment, a good uh, beekeeping suit on you. Um, and you you wear boots and you you think about um, you know what can happen is that the bees climb into your clothes like this so uh, you have gloves obviously and some people even have tape or something around the, these areas where you can get them inside uh, but it's a good thing to know how you're going to react do you have an allergic uh, sensitivity or, or do, will you I mean have you been stung before uh, that's not question number one uh, but even a person who's not been allergic, uh, has been a beekeeper all his life or her life, um, can develop an allergic response. So I would not uh, recommend people not using equipment and going out with their hands, showing that they're like cool and so on. Uh, I know because you're you're hot and it's practical to use. Sometimes you take off your 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 clothes and so on because it's. It's easier to work that way, uh, but you can get different reactions depending on where you get get stung. Uh, I mean, in the area of the face and so on, which is like, if bees are really aggressive and want to defend themselves, I mean, the eyes and the mouth is primary target, you know. Uh, so that's the area you want to protect most. Uh, but what I want to add also is that the more you get stung, the more sensitivity you might get in the end. So let's say I get stung four times. Nothing happens, and then uh, you have one month later. You get four or five more times, and it, it can happen like this that you develop an allergic uh, uh, reaction in the end. So to avoid that, keep uh, always keep good equipment, good gloves and, and jacket, and full body uh, suit, uh, and and so on. Then you can avoid it. And I can also say that uh, there are several people, uh, beekeepers, that has been become uh, they have you know become allergic and get allergic reactions but they're still beekeepers what they do is they get more careful they buy this adrenaline syringe so you have them have that access just in case and they also have medicine um, in case that happens i would also like to add that uh, it's important i think with all beekeepers as far as far as possible to be two people working with the bees because if something happens you have someone who can help you 
because it's not going to happen that you die immediately or something like that. Even if you get stung many, many times, as soon as you get medical treatment, uh, also most of the times there will be no problem. Uh, it, it will be a, a bad experience, obviously, and so on. But it's something to have in your mind that you're not going to die uh, and, and so on. And uh, and also, I think in the beginning as a beekeeper, it's natural to be a little bit afraid. I mean, you go and you lift up this bee frame with several thousand bees, uh, and it's a bit scary. And it was for me too the first time. I, I, I was, I wasn't shaky, but I was, you know, I was on, on my alert, you know. Uh, um, but after a while, you learn the behavior. You see that they react this and this when I do this. Mm -hmm. uh, after there's been a storm or um at blizzard and so on uh, they are more nervous so on and at the end of the summer they have less food of course then they're more aggressive they want to protect what they have while in the beginning of the summer or the spring or not the spring but in the beginning of the summer when the first harvest is there a big harvest hopefully uh, they are calm and they know that they can, there's still more food out there to get so uh, they're not that nervous and so on and also i would like to add one more thing is that when you work with the bees uh, try to be as gentle as possible. Um, this kind of beginner's uh, mistake you all do, we all do them in the beginning, you drop something and there's vibration, uh, you know, they, they're very sensitive vibrations. So if you drop something, they will, they will start like this and you hear this buzz, <laughs> the whole hive reacts together. They, they feel that something is going on and they go up and check, check it out. And if, if nothing more happens, they go back probably and there what me might be like one or two three individuals that become aggressive um, and that when i would then i would suggest that you just go 10 15 meters away from from the beehive or the, the apiary where you have all the bees and they will just go back nothing happens so t 10 or 50 meters is actually the security uh, safe distance so it's it's interesting it's really true i've checked this out most of the times it's like 10 meters you go away from your apiaries and they will not follow you sometimes when there are some individuals and you have been there a long time or something like that it happens yes they want to follow you all the way back uh, but it's only one or two individuals you can handle it it's not the end of the world you can keep your suit on and you go to the door and you just close the door and they will just after a while they will they will go somewhere else someplace else pl yeah. places so yeah so maybe i i dare maybe i can go come and practice sure. with you sometime sure to, and, and to build up your confidence so yeah. it's perfectly natural to be a little bit afraid i would be say it would be stupid not to be uh, to not have respect for for the bees uh, because obviously they can and also um one uh, common mistake is that you mix the wasp with the bee the bee has uh, a certain venom some say it's a bit more um it's a bit stronger but on the other hand the bee can only sting you one time uh, and it doesn't mean that they will give you all um, the venom uh, if you're i always bring me a little knife so if you get stung uh, i take the knife and i do like this uh, and then it's, instead of just taking the knife and trying to get the venom out I, th that will just press down the venom and more venom will come down because what happens is that the, the bee dies and basically the the butt is still hanging hanging on there part of the body is still hanging on there it's tragic but it's this that's what happens while a wasp can sting you many times and it's a predator it's not uh, the bees are not predators uh, you can think about the wasps as lions Lion, they, they go and they attack they, they get they eat anything they can and uh, uh, they can sting you many times. So uh, uh, if you are going to get stung, it's going to be when, either when you're working as a beekeeper a lot, 
you're exposed, it's, it's, it's simple probability. The more you're mm -hmm. exposed, sometimes you're going to get stung. But uh, uh, most people that don't are they're not beekeepers. They're walking uh, on a summer day and there's like uh, grass and there are some, some uh, flowers there. You're walking barefoot and you happen to step on a bee. And that's, mm -hmm. that's when they defend themselves. But if you just uh, see them or be close to them, they won't sting you. They have no reason. They're very, very, very calm. Uh, yeah, like they, like bumblebees, and they know. they die if they yeah. sting me. They so. have nothing to gain from from <laughs> st from stinging you. It has to be something serious, threatening. They're feeling very threatened, threatened uh, that the whole society, the whole hive is being threatened. Obviously, then they're going to de to defend themselves. So, yeah, wonderful. Then uh, I think now I I like bees even more. <laughs> I don't like the wasps, but no, I, no. I really yeah. like the bees. Yeah, uh, wonderful. I think this has been a. I've learned so much about bees and insects and their use and yeah. why they are threatened and what we can do against yeah. it. Yeah, I can mention the because we, it's important to see that the, what's happening the last couple of years is uh, the latest report in the Biological uh, Journal of Sur Survey. Um, they said that forty percent of all the bees in the world could disappear in the next twenty years or something. I think I maybe mentioned that, but uh, so the the rate of acceleration in, ter in terms of decline uh, of uh, bees and pollina pollinators are, um, you know, it's accelerating and we have to stop it. And that's what um, this, the researchers suggest also, um, that we have to uh, take a lot of measures now in order to first stop it uh, and then, um, you know, uh, strengthening and helping the bees, uh, increasing the numbers again. Um, so that's 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 one of my biggest points here. I think to, I want to raise, uh, and also want to to as we mentioned, try to get people interested in uh, and see how fascinating actually the bees are. And I, I'm just going to mention some of some bee facts here. I think it's interesting that I mentioned 60 to 80 thousand individuals. That's in one big hive, uh, but. One bee actually flies um, two laps around the world in order to just get one half kilograms kilogram of, of honey. So it's a lot of work behind that that uh, jar of honey. Uh, that two you're... laps around the world yes. uh, to or... get one one kilogram of honey. Yeah, and that's wow. that's e equivalent to four million flowers visiting four million flowers. Wow. So that's um, and also as yeah I mentioned they had they also have medicine medicinal. Uh, um you can use the the honey as a medicinal uh, treatment as well so the honey can be used for many things and and so on um yeah uh, yeah that's and also another thing the queen actually lays 3000 eggs per day that's uh, during the peak so that's also an interesting thing uh, how the whole this this super advanced complex society works i mean there are people that's been working with bees for 40 years and they say that uh, they only know this much. They feel that they learn everything. So that's kind of, a, it's a stimulating hobby or a stimulating uh, uh, thing to, 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 to have, to work with and to, to, to see the, the effects of um, the bees in your own garden. You, you get an appreciation for what they're doing. Um, you see that the apples are getting bigger. You might not see it, but <laughs> in general, they, they will be, be bigger. Um, uh, thanks to the pollination and also blueberries will be bigger in your farm or in your area. Uh, actually, where we have our um, bees, there are our neighbors are always appreciated. They, they come to us and say that, 
yeah, I saw your bees now and uh, they were at my flowers and uh, I'm so happy to see them and it's like a good sign and, and things, how is everything going with your bees? And uh, it's a good conversation starter, that's for sure. Uh, and it's a good good way for people to see that, you know, the cause and effect in, in nature, that actually we need the, the pollinators, we need the, the bees. It's not only honey. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, that's, it's really important. Um, I think, yeah, we mentioned the reports. Um, uh, and yeah, I think we, I think we, we've summarized most of the things. Um, I don't know if you have any more questions or thoughts you, you, you would like to raise. Um, no, it's, I've learned so, I've, I've learned so much. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the bees and the pollinators are so extremely important, not only for the honey, no. but for all our food. Yeah. So we we need to do whatever we can to uh, to save them. Yeah. And yeah. to support them. Yeah. And that's maybe that can be the, some ending note. I mean, uh, what, we haven't gone in too much detail on what you can do. We mentioned meadows and so on and, and the, the gardens, but you can also become a beekeeper. You can support the beekeeper, the local beekeeper. Uh, talk about the bees, mentioning and also mentioning it in, in another context. And also, I think it's important not to put the blame on the farmers. The farmers, they have their, um, you know, their companies, they're, they're make, you're making the living from growing things in a conventional way. And you mentioned going from conventional to organic. Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, but also making, uh, making the farmers see that they have a lot to gain from helping the beekeepers. And the beekeepers have a lot of gain to talk with the farmers because let's say you're in a, a close proximity of a farmer and you don't, you, you ask the farmer, please, uh, when are you going to use your pesticide? Uh, I know you're using them. I'm not so keen on, I'm not so happy about that, but okay, fine. But can, uh, when are you do, going to do this? Okay, in this, in this time, okay, then I might do my harvest and I, maybe you can actually have a, a sanctuary close to my close close to my garden or something like that um yeah and, and also having places where the bees can be uh can can uh, have a sanctuary within the farmer's area is also something you can do and so because the crops will be you will have a bigger um uh, production in terms of what you get if you have more bees in the area and pollinators in general so it's not like uh, black or white, you know, you get either mm. or. It's it's very much a win-win situation. And the more farmers uh, understand this, the more they will, um, they will, they can support a development that we, we all need. So, yeah. I've, I also remember during the summer, if it's dry, that you can put out small bowls or water. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Does that help the bees or is it, it a rumor? It, it, no, that's a, a bowl with water would not be good because then they will drown. Uh, you need to put in something in the bowl. So you put in a lot of small stones. Uh, you can have um, uh, something that's, uh, you know, um, a tap of some kind where there is some drip drop coming down, some drops coming down of water. Uh, because if you have flowing water coming down, they can't. Uh, there they must be still water, uh, or very slowly moving water. Otherwise, they will drown. And they must, uh, in particular, they must have some place where they can stand uh, and land, uh, and otherwise they will drown. So that's uh, that's very important. But I mean, it's, it's a very good point. Uh, 
the last summer we had in Sweden and I know in, in the big parts of the US and the rest of the world, the drought has been ex extreme. And uh, I know my bees, they had a lot of problems. They were, they were not, um, they had to fly a long way. And, and the, we had um, uh, the, the water sources, uh, the springs we have in, in the areas um, were basically dry. dry. Uh, so we knew that there was no access basically other, other than in the morning, you have this um, uh, leftover of water in the morning, but otherwise there was a few uh, water sources. So uh, definitely, you, and you don't have to be a beekeeper. That's a good point. You, you don't have to be a beekeeper to do things there. You can actually have put out a bowl of water, a lot of stones in it so there, uh, or, or something like that and uh, fill it up so there is just a little bit of water they can get all the time. Uh, and I'm, I'd made this kind of... Uh, uh, temporary thing where I had um, uh, you know a box of water uh, uh, where, where it was dripping down water onto this bowl and so you, you can have different kind of solutions but having water like you said in a bowl it, it can be a, a good thing for the bees then they don't have to fly so far and for a beekeeper it also means that they will produce more honey basically they, they save more energy the less they have to fly for water the more they can focus on on the nectar and uh, uh, pollen uh, yeah, so diversity uh, diversity in my garden leave a meadow or leave yeah. some different plants in yeah. a small space yeah. and put out a, a bowl with water yeah. and sto yeah. stones with that sounds quite nice yeah yeah and it, it's not only for the honeybees you maybe you will only get the bumblebees or some other but that's a, that's the same thing it's just the same work in nature same kind of win-win for us so uh, but it is cool to see the honeybees because they're coming in a greater numbers. I remember when I was like four or five years old, uh, that, that's my, how my interest came about. Uh, we had beekeepers, uh, beekeeping friends. And I was sitting in, you know, in, in the grass and watching these uh, bees coming in to this beekeeper had built a, a concrete special uh, landing place uh, for the bees. And they, they could actually walk down to the water so they wouldn't drown. It was a really smart solution. And then you can see them coming like, uh, you know, helicopters going there, going down there and coming in hundreds sometimes and drinking some water and then taking off again. So it's uh, it's a spectacle to, to, to actually see this. Uh, so, But it's not for sure that they will come to your bowl. I, I tried to get most of my bees there. I saw a few of them. I don't know. I wasn't observing all the time, but at least I know that I've, I've tried. So... Um, some were there, some were there to drink for sure, but I don't know how many. No, so, but it's, yeah. it's good to do whatever you can. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I will, yeah, sorry. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for, yeah. uh, thank you so much for, uh, for this conversation and uh, everything that I've learned about bees and uh, pollinators and insects. Yeah, I really enjoyed this conversation, Anna, and I look forward having you back on the show. If you enjoyed this podcast as well, Feel free to continue the conversation on our YouTube channel, Evolution Show, and share the podcast with others. In the next episode, I will debunk some of the most common myths when it comes to electric cars, together with Tesla Club Sweden. We always appreciate your feedback. Was it good or bad? Consider leaving a comment to help us improve the show. If you want to listen to the show as soon as it comes out, don't forget to subscribe or follow us on your podcast platform. I hope you join us in two weeks for the next episode.